so there's there's 65 acres that uh, an outfit called HMS Development has put together. Okay. And it goes almost over I'm standing the on a plot of land in southwest Longmont, the county's second largest city, just a few miles northeast of Boulder. Next to me is Navy veteran Paul Melroy, surveying the scene. Okay. So that corner where you pulled in, that's mm -hmm. corner of the property, there'll be eight habitat houses along the road here, and then our village will be in here. If all goes according to plan, this two-acre tractor-raked swath of dirt will be a resting place for 26 new tiny homes and a community center. The two to 300 square foot miniature dwellings will be transitional homes for veterans experiencing homelessness across northern Colorado. At the community center, Melroy's organization, the Veterans Community Project, will headquarter its Longmont chapter, providing supportive and recreational services to housed and unhoused vets alike. I guess the nuance with us is that if you're coming into that housing program, you are going to get wraparound services. We're going to address the things that got you into the homeless situation to begin with, whether it's mental health issues, physical health, mm -hmm. job training, um, financial literacy. You know, the housing is strictly transitional, so we don't charge rent or utilities or anything. It's free to the to the vet who gets to stay there, yeah. um, but they have to be a willing participant in getting those services. The Veterans Community Project was founded five years ago by a group of combat veterans in Kansas City tired of watching vets fall through the cracks in the city's homelessness framework. Five years later, there's a village with 49 tiny homes there, community center, um, big outreach center. Veterans are disproportionately reflected in unhoused populations across the country. Melroy explains that some social and housing services can exclude veterans due to discharge status. And for psychological reasons, some vets find it particularly difficult to go straight from living on the streets to living in an apartment which is the singular strategic focus of the popular Housing First model to which many cities, including those in Boulder County, subscribe. What my concern would be is that if you throw people that are having housing issues into housing without necessarily addressing the underlying causes of the problems they're having, it's, it's, the success is just going to be limited. And, um, and, and I don't want to pretend that maybe that's, that's okay for a segment of the homeless population. I, I, you know, this is a problem that we have spent decades trying to grapple with, somewhat unsuccessfully as a, as a, as a nation. Mm -hmm. um, but we are starting to get clever and I, you know, about how to, how to work with certain segments of that population. Since opening the tiny home village in Kansas City in 2018, the Veterans Community Project has helped dozens of vets exit homelessness, and they've served thousands more through the community center with its robust wraparound service system. After the tiny home village received waves of national praise, the organization started looking to grow its concept elsewhere. Longmont was chosen as the first expansion site, and despite months of delays due to COVID-19, they broke ground on the Longmont Village this summer. 
According to Melroy, it's one of the few indications that alternative housing models are finally gaining traction in local and national conversations about reducing homelessness and housing insecurity. The solutions are daunting. It's, there's, there's no cookie cutter solution to any of this and you have to be willing to sort of attack things from a lot of different angles. Cities like Detroit, Los Angeles, and Portland, they've been using micro-communities to help serve a variety of low-income and homeless individuals for years. In Denver, the Colorado Village Collaborative, the same organization that's opening Denver's inaugural safe outdoor spaces, it's in the process of expanding its beloved community village, a collection of 19 transitional homes in Denver, by adding a specialized women's village segment. But the concept has been slow to take root more locally. The Veterans Community Project Village in Longmont will be the first of its kind in Boulder County. I'm Emma Athena, and this is Unhoused, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. In episode five, we're diving into the idea of transitional housing as a way to help lift community members out of homelessness and alternative models like tiny homes that can provide more affordable and space-efficient dwellings for those who want to stay housed in the county but can't afford the increasingly expensive market-rate apartments or houses. I come from a childhood with a lot of trauma, and I don't feel safe and secure in a brick and mortar. I'm very uncomfortable in that environment, and I'm constantly moving for that reason. This is Mason Moyer, and she's the vice chair of Boulder's Housing Advisory Board. She's not a veteran, she's a hairdresser here in Boulder, and she's a longtime advocate for tiny homes. On both local and national scales, she's been working to standardize and legalize them for years. Um, it wasn't until much later in life, in my 40s, that I was like, oh, moving, mobile homes, doing something, being on my motorcycle. I breathe, can write, can live, and feel safe when I'm even on a motorcycle going across country. That's where I resonate. Why is my lifestyle choice somehow criminalized or um, I'm no longer considered as a community member or an asset to culture and community? I can tell you that my clients love the shit out of me. And there's a lot of people who follow me on YouTube or who follow me on my social media channels that think I'm living the dream. And I'm like, it's hard no matter what dream you think you're living. You know, like, it's all hard. Tiny homes, she says, are uniquely poised to help not only veterans, but others who might not be ready or able to live alone in an apartment complex or a house. She talks about the elderly, the working class, the young couples just starting out with families, the people trying to reduce their personal carbon footprints, or simply trying to find affordable spaces to live in an increasingly unaffordable county. In her mind, Tiny homes bring a lot to the table. And as it pertains to homelessness, she explains tiny homes can kill two birds with one stone. Simultaneously preventing homelessness by introducing more affordability into the housing market, and also providing help moving out of homelessness by supplying a cheap transitional experience. 
She says the Veterans Community Project in Longmont may be a palatable way to demonstrate the viability of tiny home villages, especially to local elected officials who have long resisted the idea. Moyer herself has lived on and off in tiny homes for years, in her case, a converted school bus. But my goal was to shrink my footprint. I didn't need a large house anymore. I didn't need a lot of shit anymore. I didn't want to have roommates. And I wanted to be able to move a little bit easier than what I was. I'm also coming up on being a senior, and I was one of the individuals who didn't plan well young and again based on my trauma was homeless for many years when I was young so I don't have a retirement plan right and for those of us who don't have to have a retirement plan the smartest thing that we can do is reduce our expenses we have to get rid of all debt and reduce our expenses period that's how we're going to survive not by taking on more debt not by paying lots in rent it's reducing all of it and even when we think about our affordable housing programs, those are not affordable and they are not a long-term strategy for anybody who's on a limited income. As we see with HOAs and every, the costs of things expand. So these individuals get priced out of affordable housing and have to file bankruptcy or we lose the house to going into bankruptcy. Tiny homes with small geographic footprints and minimalist designs can give people a sense of independence and privacy. And advocates like Moyer claim they're a cost-effective way for vulnerable community members to gain some stability. At face value, tiny homes are much cheaper than apartment complexes. In Denver, the Colorado Village Collaborative models cost about $15,000 each to build, and the ones in Longmont will come out to about $10,000. Still, others contend that the high-density village designs will disrupt neighborhood traffic patterns and they aren't viable in parking space-starved cities. Some also argue that transitional housing is a financial distraction from the ultimate homelessness solution, which is permanent housing. As we discussed in the first episode, permanent housing via the Housing First strategy has been the exclusive focus of Homeless Solutions for Boulder County, or HSBC, the intergovernmental body organizing local homelessness reduction. While prioritizing affordable housing over more temporary service aids has led the agency to help nearly 500 people exit homelessness, officials acknowledge the program's major limiting factor. Boulder County's short and slow-growing supply of affordable housing. This summer, more than a dozen rental vouchers went unused due to difficulties in matching people with what was available in the housing supply. So, as folks wait for housing opportunities to open up or wait to qualify for the Housing First programming, which requires participants to have lived in Boulder for at least six months, it's grown increasingly difficult to cope with and survive life on the streets. The idea of tiny homes as a housing helper has been consistently dismissed in Boulder over the years, not just at the county policy level, but also as neighborhoods have pushed back with concerns about population density and land use. But other cities like Denver, Portland, Nashville, and, and many more have found ways to incorporate tiny homes into the Housing First vision. As we'll see, creating these micro-communities is far from simple. 
For much of the 2010s, Moyer traveled around the country advocating for tiny home legislation on a national level, namely the expansion of the International Building Code, which is the standard for most jurisdictions in the U.S., to include accessory dwelling units, or ADUs, a technical classification for stationary tiny homes. According to Tiny House Society, which tracks tiny home legislation in different states, these mini-dwellings might be growing more popular on a conceptual level, but city codes and restrictive development regulations may lag behind due to cumbersome public policy processes. While the Veterans Community Project has experienced a relatively smooth and straightforward development process in Longmont, with city officials directly championing the project, that hasn't been the case in nearby Boulder. Moyer brings up the Danish plan, an influential ordinance limiting population growth in Boulder, named after a former council member who served in the 1970s. So we are where we are right now because literally a group of individuals got together in the 60s during the Danish plan and said we are going to limit the amount of people that come to our community. How can we do that through policy? Um, they have zoned and created policy in such a manner that we have painted ourselves. You know, we talk about unintended consequences, but I think there were some very clear people at the helm of this that knew exactly what they were creating. Yeah. And um, now, when you look at it, like when you wiped out, it was in the 80s that we wiped out um, mixed development of triplexes, duplexes, and townhomes. And we literally wrote that out of our zoning and planning. Local geographer and community activist Claudia Hansen Theme breaks it down for us a bit further. More diverse types of housing can go a long way, she says. So I have been interested for the entire time that I've been involved in Boulder City politics in um, not just affordable housing, but more diverse housing options in the city. Um, and we've over time made it harder to do that kind of thing, but we've always had that kind of diversity in um, central Boulder neighborhoods. So a making ADUs more possible for people to do um, gets us back to, to some of that. So a little history lesson here. Decades ago, ADUs, which can come in the form of tiny homes, carriage houses, standalone backyard apartments, mother-in-law suites, converted trailers, or school buses, they used to be commonplace in Boulder. Take a walk down the historic Mableton Avenue, and you'll see them interspersed in backyards. As Hanson Theme explains, current zoning and land use codes have evolved over time to intensely regulate the new construction of any ADUs. So, taking it back to the 1970s, that's when Boulder began a concentrated effort to downzone neighborhoods and minimize the variety of housing development options. To preserve neighborhood character and suburban values, these stricter codes and zoning requirements eliminated opportunities for higher density living, such as triplexes, small apartment complexes, and or ADUs. In exchange, developers prioritized single-family residences, which many community activists now cite as a major contributing factor to the city's current lack of affordable housing. 
Expansion and development opportunities remain limited in general in Boulder, but thanks to the work of people like Moyer and Hanson Thiem, some building diversity has slowly been coming back. In 2018, after the International Building Code was ratified to include ADU-specific code, Boulder City Council adopted an ordinance to allow incremental new ADU development, less than one-half of 1% 1 of growth each year. So we piloted the process in the 80s, 90s, early 90s. It took us 10 years of review before we agreed on 10 minor shifts that increased ADUs in the housing inventory by less than one half of 1% in the city of Boulder. Okay. 10 years, that's about less than 100 places. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in public process and fatigue with staff who had to listen to the bullshit that was coming out of our community at that time. Um, so we went from ADUs, yay, everybody's like, we got to win. I was like, I'm sorry, what? That's like, that's like taking two cars off the road out of the 65,000 and saying it's a win. For reference, the city of Boulder attracts about 65,000 commuters a day, which represents the bulk of the city's workforce. Both Moyer and Hanson Thiem believe more diverse housing opportunities can bring the working class back into the community they're working for. And while the ADU situation illustrates how slow change can be, still, it's a start. I think it's also a great way to do housing um, without having to get into the really controversial sides of things about changing the look and feel of neighborhoods, which we struggle with a lot here in Boulder. Um, it's a fairly low impact way to do housing and it's a great way to get diversity into wealthier neighborhoods. Um, again, without having to make big changes that people get their hackles up about, um, but simply allowing a few more people into existing places. So it's not the solution. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, talk about ADUs, like, why are we even talking about this? It's not going to solve affordable housing. Well, of course, it's not going to solve affordable housing. It's like one piece of a puzzle. Um, and, and it's a way to start getting more diversity into existing neighborhoods, rather than to having to do everything large scale from scratch, etc. And it's a great way to live too, to be honest. Um, my husband and I lived in an ADU for six months in Berkeley, actually, in uh, 2008 when we were there on sabbatical. Um, and it was, a, it was a backyard cottage um, in an older neighborhood. It's a place we would have, a neighborhood we would have never been able to live in otherwise. Um, we knew our landlords who of course occupied the big house up front. Um, it was a super cozy, humane way to live. We had a yard, right? We had our privacy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm a huge fan for a lot of reasons. Despite the popularity of new national TV shows like Tiny House Nation and Tiny House Big Living, the work of convincing neighborhoods to welcome tiny homes, especially to provide housing for lower income or unhoused people, has proved tough. And it's a substantial, sometimes fatal, roadblock for tiny home village ventures across the country. When ideas promoting villages have surfaced, 
Neighborhoods in many cities like Des Moines, Iowa, Charlotte, North Carolina, Tallahassee, Florida, and Denver, just to name a few, have organized robust campaigns opposing tiny homes. Des Moines, Iowa faces homelessness problems similar to Boulder, with fewer shelter beds than people in need of shelter. There, the homelessness advocacy organization, JAPA, has been lobbying for a transitional tiny home community for years, even after securing independent funding and service partnerships, the 2017 proposal was dismissed due to neighborhood opposition. According to JAPA's website, the bottom line, land use, is the only thing holding up this proven solution. In Boulder, there was a moment in 2016 after some members of city council visited Portland to research homelessness responses when some thought a deeper conversation about tiny homes might be on the horizon. Councilmember Aaron Brockett recalls returning with a lot of ideas on how Boulder could adapt its homelessness solutions future to incorporate more temporary and transitional opportunities for the unhoused by way of tiny homes and or sanctioned encampments. So I, I came back with a, a, with a lot of energy to see if we could do a tiny home village in Boulder, because I felt like that was the more successful of those mm -hmm. two models. And um, so I came back really hoping that we could provide that as a as an, uh, an alternative for folks experiencing homelessness in our community. And the, we did at the time, the city manager put together um, a few different possible sites where one could be sited. And we did uh, a bus tour, I remember at the time, and looked at different options and talked it over. Um, but when it came back to council to discuss the matter, um, I believe only Jan Burton and myself were interested in pursuing it further. Mm. So we didn't have majority support um, for the tiny home village idea. And so uh, never, never, we were never able to move forward on that. Then in 2018, another opportunity to consider tiny homes arose when the city of Boulder entertained proposals for use of the 22 acre Hogan Pancost property in East Boulder. Kurt Fernhaber, the city's director of housing and human services, and also an HSBC board member, he put forward the option of considering the property as a site for alternative and affordable housing ideas, including a tiny home village. It was briefly, but not seriously entertained. No feasibility analysis was ever conducted, and the property was ultimately absorbed into open space. Here's Hanson theme again. Thinking about that really, if you want to look at how the idea of a tiny home village has been received in Boulder, you should go back and look at some of the discussion about the Hogan Pancost site. Yeah. Um, because there were, there were a number of uses recommended for that, but a tiny house village was certainly one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it was pretty summarily rejected. Down in Denver, beloved community village, though ultimately successful, had a tumultuous start with intense community debate around where it would be located. It's now situated on city property in the working class Globeville neighborhood. But the project faced rounds of public scrutiny that nearly thwarted the process. After the first year of operation, however, an independent study found nearly 90% of Globeville neighbors reported no impact or a positive impact on their sense of community. 
nearly 80% reported no impact or positive impact on their traffic, safety, and noise. And also, crime rates didn't increase near the village, despite concerns that it would. The Colorado Village Collaborative's new women's village has been designed in partnership with the city and county of Denver, and it'll feature 14 new tiny homes plus other amenities on a previously vacant city block in the Cole neighborhood. If you start looking at housing insecurity, which obviously is a precursor to homelessness in a lot of cases, um, I think anything that you can do to create more small-scale options for people mm -hmm. um, is going to help that situation. And ADUs have, have gotten hung up on this because people... Um, people who eventually allowed ADUs said, okay, we'll do it if you make them permanently affordable. Like if you put restrictions on them to make them permanently affordable. Um, so that, that can be part of it, but I think they can be part of a broader solution even without those limitations, because what you're doing is you're, you're creating options for people who don't necessarily fit into the standard categories of affordability, but who still need housing in the community. And by doing so, you can also open up other options um, so that the people who are living in ADUs are not competing for the apartments in the same way. Like you, you give everybody a little more, um, a little more slack in yeah. the housing market to find what they need. Yeah. Um, and I, it does bother me sometimes that we're always looking for these silver bullet solutions, right? And there seems to be an attitude that we cannot adopt a housing solution unless it immediately solves the problem of the day. Um, I don't think ADUs are an answer to homelessness, but they are part of this puzzle about housing security mm -hmm. in the city. The ability to add one or two ADUs to a neighborhood is a far cry from creating a tiny home village, however, and even further from one that includes a transitional program for unhoused community members. First, a concentrated number of tiny homes would violate the current ADU development allowances. And second, as many have noted, there's a history of resistance to adding homelessness services to Boulder neighborhoods. Through public process, it's possible to change zoning policies, which are one of the major logistical obstacles that tiny homes face, Hanson Theme explains. If city council were to take up the issue, and if there was enough community interest, these policies could be updated. I think there is interest, but that interest is not reflected in the leadership that we've elected. Um, and that's, it's a big disconnect. And I think this happens a lot in local politics that the, I wouldn't say the electorate, that's the wrong word because these people aren't necessarily voting. Public opinion is not necessarily um, strongly against these smaller more community-oriented forms of living, mm -hmm. but the electorate in local elections trends very much towards older, wealthier homeowners um, who tend to have a NIMBYish reaction mm -hmm. to these kinds of policies, and that's and they they turn out much more for public process as well. So when we have a really long um, drawn out public process like we're used to here in Boulder, the people that can continually show up um, and advocate for their interests are the people who are already here, who are established in neighborhoods. Um, and so when we have had proposals for um, liberalizing these kinds of housing rules, um, they get chipped away at over time 
And the people who don't care either way, the people who are like, great, fine, aren't the ones that are motivated to come out. So as we've seen, the concept of tiny homes is not a new topic of conversation. It's just one that hasn't gotten much traction. Ever since Mason Moyer joined the Housing Advisory Board in 2017, it has continued to recommend the city seriously examine the potential role tiny homes can play in the local housing market. But Boulder City Council has continued on what many say is a conservative housing-first path, routinely directing ideas for new transitional or service-oriented programs to private nonprofits or other service providers, individuals, and faith congregations. HSBC continues to focus funding exclusively on providing permanent housing opportunities. In July, HSBC presented a homelessness strategy update to Boulder City Council, wherein tiny homes were acknowledged as a potentially helpful response to homelessness, but not an ideal one, and not something HSBC will itself pursue. Tiny homes could meet the goals of the homelessness strategy, the report states. However, concerns about land usage, placement, structure, and need may not align with homelessness strategy number three, which directs staff to use data-driven results and maximize service efficiencies during decision-making. HSBC has not commented publicly on the Veterans Community Project work in Longmont, and does not plan to fund or facilitate future tiny home village projects. Moyer is one of those people who doesn't quite fit into a standard housing situation. She spent years of her youth experiencing homelessness and eventually grew into, then out of, being a homeowner in Boulder. She knows intimately both sides of the coin, what it's like to be powerless and powerful in urban environments. When her kids grew up and moved out, she converted a 98 square foot school bus into a cozy mobile apartment with a full suite of amenities, like a kitchen sink, a convection oven, a toilet, a guest bed, and a lounge area for Gus, her dog. She did all of this to stay in Boulder and she lived happily in the schoolie until she was tapped for her seat on the housing advisory board. She says due to city rules, board and commission members must reside within city limits. So if she wanted to serve on the board, she needed to provide a physical address. It's one of the many city policies that Moyer condemns for discriminating against the poor and working classes of Boulder. What's also interesting about that is as much as we pay lip service to wanting to have all stakeholders in our community have a seat at the table, that leaves out um, our unhoused. Um, even though they interview them every year, somebody applies for a board or tries to stand up and say, or you hear council go, we should really have somebody at the table here doing this. but. No, nobody puts forward changing the charter to include individuals that are unhoused in our community. What's more, when it comes to the public process, older, wealthier homeowners or those already established in their neighborhoods emerge as disproportionate representatives of greater public interest. Something both Hanson Theme and Moyer have observed and say produces a community disconnect. Our pragmatic 
elders say don't spend more than 30% of your income on housing, yet we try to do that and we're vilified for living multiple people or creating community or creating alternative housing. All shit they did when they were younger. All shit they did when they were younger. Yeah. I mean, living in buses were cool back in the day. Um, you know, California was littered with them. Stories of all these rock stars and singers and stuff. It was, it was what we did. It was the rites of passage. But fear and land grab and the possession of wealth has and capitalism has just gotten so out of control and perverted. Moyer hopes if the Veterans Community Project Village can set a good example for local ADUs or tiny home communities, that could open the doors to permitting mobile tiny homes on wheels, like her schoolie, which are not forms of residence currently allowed in the county. When we're going headlong into alternative housing, the most palatable for most are little tiny houses. You know, that that's justifiable is a little cute tiny house that matches my big house. Yeah. So I knew the only way we were gonna legalize what we do as mobile dwellers is if we can legalize tiny houses first. The progress the tiny home and ADU movement has made in recent years has relied on extreme levels of collaboration between interested community members, public officials, nonprofits, and national and local advocacy organizations. For the Veterans Community Project Tiny Home Village in Longmont, it was no different. The project's executive director, Paul Milroy, explains the village site is a donation from the community development company HMS Development. A couple years ago, Kevin Molshine, a local community partner, visited the Veterans Community Project Kansas City Village, and he was impressed enough to lobby for its extension in Longmont, offering to be its host. The tiny home village will only occupy a small corner of the property, right next to eight Habitat for Humanity homes, which will come with finance support for low-income families. On the rest of the acreage, HMS is planning a residential subdivision. It took us about two years to get to this groundbreaking. Okay. My understanding is the neighbors were actually great, uh, that we did not get a lot of uh, NIMBY-type pushback here. Um, what's even more fascinating to me, uh, Kevin Molshine, one of the developers, thinks of this project as being an amenity for his subdivision. And it's probably the, it's the first situation we know of in the country where transitional homeless housing is being built in conjunction with a subdivision where the, the top price on some of the properties will be about $900,000. So it'd be a big range. I think I think they're going to start in the low 200s for some of the condos here, but there'll be this you know somewhat upscale subdivision, and he's looking at it as an amenity, so that the, the people who want to get involved want to come over and volunteer with landscaping or tutoring or whatever, that you know that this is there for them, you know. And of course, we're going to want to be good neighbors, so it's this little bit of a grand experiment there. Um, but it's kind of exciting. Uh, and it's, it's just so different than the, the posture that you would expect in most places in the country. Yeah. And we've had, I think, we've had thousands of inquiries. We've had probably about 700 serious inquiries like, come to our town, build one of these things, we'll give you the land, you know, we'll, it's amazing. So it's, um, we've seen, we seem to have, uh, 
I don't know, caught on with something in the, you know, the community's psyche. I don't know. I, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And for its part, the Veterans Community Project has been doing all it can to set itself up for success. They spent the past two years building relationships throughout the county, primarily with the nonprofit Homeless Outreach Providing Encouragement, or HOPE, which has started to refer veterans to the project for specialized assistance. And we're working with some organizations that are up in Fort Collins and Loveland. We're partnering with them. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the key to success for us. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. The inaugural Kansas City site has moved 76% of village participants into permanent housing, about double that of similar programs, Melroy says. He attributes the success to hearty supportive services like health and wellness programming, various types of counseling, educational opportunities, a donation center, and a recreation area. In the last two or so years, the Veterans Community Project has received thousands of inquiries about tiny home logistics from all over the country, 700 or so of them serious, including offers to gift land in exchange for the Veterans Community Project coming to town. After Longmont's villages up and running, the organization's goal is to build eight more tiny home villages in the next two years in various cities across the country. St. Louis is next on the list. And, you know, we're, we're a situation that hasn't existed here before, so the, the way some of the rules and laws are written, they weren't necessarily taking into account the possibility of something like this happening. So the city's been very creative in, in working with us, and. I uh, have to give big props to the city manager here. Again, that's in Longmont, a city in Boulder County with more space for development. Many of the 65,000 commuters that come into Boulder live in Longmont. And with the Veterans Community Project charging ahead, people like Moyer and Hanson Thiem hope it'll drum up support for pilot opportunities for non-veteran unhoused populations and working class folks in Boulder. Both the Housing Advisory Board and the Human Relations Commission continue to explore possibilities for tiny homes as transitional and affordable housing options. And they plan to continue making their case in front of City Council, but time will tell if the traditional majority consensus will shift. In the meantime, many will be watching how Longmont's tiny home village will play out and how the conversations will evolve here in Boulder. For now, the county has been preparing its homelessness service offerings for the winter, when temperatures regularly stay below freezing and mixes of snow, hail, and rain come and go at a moment's notice. Some new changes to the severe weather sheltering system were recently announced. Changes that have left the unhoused community worried and advocates questioning what will happen with a fraction of shelter beds available for the hundreds of unhoused community members. Is the county's strategy for encouraging people experiencing homelessness to leave and seek shelter elsewhere working? That's up next on Unhoused. This series was created to expand upon six written articles, which you can find at boulderweekly.com. The Unhoused podcast is a collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. You can subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts. The series editor is Angela K. Evans, with audio production by Maeve Conran. I'm Emma Athena. Thanks for listening.